Proverbs 16, you'll notice again, verse 32. And in particular, I want you to notice the word spirit. It says, he that is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh a city. So the anger is connected, of course, to the spirit. I think that most everybody here tonight knows that the word spirit in the Bible carries with it several meanings depending upon the context in the Bible. Sometimes when spirit, of course, is capitalized, then it refers to the Holy Spirit. Sometimes the word spirit refers to that eternal part of man, and sometimes the spirit is associated with demons. There are evil spirits in the so-called spirit world. And again, the meaning of the word spirit is best determined by the context, which is usually really obvious. In tonight's text, and in several others, as you'll see in a few moments, the word spirit refers to, the best word I can probably use tonight, refers to a person's attitude. For example, Numbers 5.14 speaks about a spirit of jealousy. Someone who has a spirit of jealousy, it's an attitude of envy and jealousy. It's not some demon. I cast out the demon of jealousy. If it were only that easy, that's not that at all. In 1 Kings 21.5, Jezebel asks Ahab, why is thy spirit sad? Why, what did he mean? Why is your attitude so down? And he said, because I'm married to you, or whatever he thought it at least. <laughs> One of the great compliments paid to Daniel, who was a teenager, was made when the king said that Daniel had an excellent spirit. Daniel had an excellent attitude, and it stood out in the midst of his terrible circumstances. There are several warnings in the Bible about a person's spirit, talking again about the attitude. For example, verse 18 says, Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit. You know people like that. I've been around people like that, people who have a haughty spirit. Verse 19, Better it is to be of a humble spirit. So there's a contrast. It's talking about someone's attitude. Numbers 14.24 says, My servant Caleb had another spirit with him. And what did God mean by that? He meant that Caleb's attitude, it was an excellent attitude, and it was different than most everybody else's. When David prayed in Psalm 51.10, Lord, renew a right spirit within me. He missed his song. He missed his joy. Restore unto me, remember, the joy of thy salvation. He wasn't praying for a whole new soul. He was referring to his attitude that had been soured and broken by his sin. Ecclesiastes 7.8 talks about the patient in spirit. 1 Corinthians 4.21 says to restore a brother in the spirit of meekness. A spirit, an attitude, if you will, of meekness. 1 Peter 3.4 speaks of a meek and quiet spirit. And so it is that in these, and of course many other scriptures, God gives instruction concerning uh, a person's attitude as God's people. In Proverbs chapter 15, just turn back a page or two, would you? And notice what it says in verse 13. A merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance. People are happy in their heart. You see it on their face. It says, but by sorrow of the heart, if it lasts long enough, it says the spirit, their spirit is broken. Now, the word spirit in each of these instances is a Hebrew word, ruach, and it's to no surprise. It refers to that part of man that is different from all other creatures. The Hebrew word literally means breath, wind. So that when God, you remember, created man, he took a piece of clay and he, he breathed into it his own breath. And man became a living soul. Man, not the animals, became created in the image of God. And you know, throughout the Bible, this wonderful book, the Scripture, teaches that it is the spirit of man 
the spirit that is man's governing principle. 1 Corinthians 2.11 says, For what man knoweth the things of a man, save or except the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the capital S, the Holy Spirit of God. In other words, look, animals were created with something that we call instinct, right? It's their governing principle. Why does a bee act like a bee? It's instinct. It already knows how to sense the earth's magnetic field and how to turn the honeycomb at a proper angle in relationship to that that magnetic field. Nobody has to teach the bee how to make this honeycomb with each cell a hexagonal prism. It just happens to be the best possible shape to hold a given volume while using as little building material as possible. Nobody told the bee how to construct six perfect 120 degree angles and each of them in that honeycomb cell, but they do it. They make three and four at a time. They tilt each cell backwards at about a grade of 13 degrees, and then they spread that wax over there, perfectly uniform, a thickness of 0.003 hundredths of an inch. In fact, the work of a honeycomb is done with such beauty, such accuracy, that the sections are joined together with such precision that when it's all finished, as you know, it's impossible to tell that they were separated, they were begun separately from two or three places forming into the middle. How do they do that? It's instinct, and God created that instinct. And you know, on a certain level, we can go migration with birds on a certain level, it's amazing to us. It is a marvel of creation and divine wisdom. But hear me carefully. That is small potatoes. Instinct is small potatoes when compared to the spirit of man. You understand that what you have tonight as a child of God is not just a natural miracle, a miracle of of creation and nature. It's a supernatural one, and it is part of you right now. Chapter 16, again, our text says, verse 32, He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he that ruleth his spirit, let's say his attitude, his outlook, he's better than he that taketh the city. So Solomon is reminding us here that a person, a man or a woman who is able to rule He's able to control and thus conquer his own spirit. That is his own attitude. He is stronger. He's mightier. He's higher in rank, if you will, than some conqueror who overtakes a city. On the screen, you'll notice chapter 25. The book of Proverbs, and it says this in verse 28. He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. In other words, in Proverbs chapter 16 and here in chapter 25, God illustrates just how powerful, we said it's supernatural and powerful, He illustrates how powerful from a positive and a negative standpoint that a person's attitude, his spirit, really is. In this text, we're given this strong imagery in the Bible. And it was especially in Bible times to show how dangerous it is, how shameful, how unsightly and unappealing it is to have a bad spirit, a bad attitude. Because, you know, in Bible times, a city without walls was no city at all. 
Nehemiah talked about the shame and the reproach and the scorn of Jerusalem without walls. And Jericho was humiliated and thus vulnerable and weak when the walls came down. A city without walls was a city robbed, ridiculed, and ruined. And folks, this is exactly what God is saying. God is telling us about the power of your attitude, your spirit, and mine as well. Our text again, chapter 16, verse 32. He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh a city. I'm going to ask you a question. If it is this critical, if it is this important for a person to rule, to control his own spirit, his own attitude, then how? How do you do that? What's the answer to it, if you will? The secret to conquering and controlling your own feelings, as it were. Well, folks, there are clearly a lot of things, several things, Old Testament and New, that we could cover tonight. But for sure, there are at least three things that we should note that are given in Scripture. Here's how you do it. The first one you'll notice, number one, is to guard your spirit. This one is repeated over and over and over in the Word of God. Across the page, you'll notice in verse 14, chapter 18, verse 14. Look ahead a few pages, would you? And again, this is a familiar text. The spirit of a man will sustain his infirmity, but a wounded spirit, who can bear? The Bible commands us in Proverbs chapter 4 to keep our hearts with all diligence. Now look, if God is telling me to do something with all diligence, whatever it is, if God says, look, this is the thing you need to do with all diligence, we should take note of that. And for sure, this is the premier scripture in the Bible that reminds us, guard your heart, he says, with all diligence. And why? Because obviously the spirit of man can be wounded. A person's attitude can be soured, it can be bruised, it can be ruined if you're not careful to guard it. Some time ago, I was speaking in a different state and talking with a fairly well-known evangelist. And we had talked for over an hour, hadn't seen each other for many years, and this poor guy was in the doldrums. He was actually more angry than sad. And he just griped, and he complained, and he moaned about the state of churches and Christians and Christian schools in America. This was bad, and that was bad, and this was wrong. To put it simply, he was a grouch. Should have lived in a garbage can. He was a grouch. He was angry about Catholics. He was angry about Democrats. He was angry about Baptists and Muslims. And he was angry about his alma mater. And because he was so angry, he attracted all of these other discontented and angry people to his ministry. He was surrounded with a bunch of grouches who agreed with him. He had quite a following. And I couldn't figure it out because I knew him in Bible college and he was joyous in Bible college. He was fun to be around. He, he had a, a, a good spirit, a great attitude. And then I found out why. He told me, he said, you know, Jim, he said, for about three years now, I've had a, my main ministry, my primary ministry has been my internet presence, my, my blog, and so on. 
And what he said he did several hours every day was research. Nothing else but exposing what's wrong in the world. So all day long he would read and assimilate all the material that he could find on whatsoever things are bad, whatsoever things are sad, whatsoever things are unlovely, whatsoever things are disgusting, and whatsoever things are depressing. And sure enough, he became wounded himself. And now his kids have paid for it, and his wife has paid for it. The Bible says to guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it are all the issues of life. I think about all the teenagers through the years that I've been blessed to be youth director of and, and pastor of as well. And you know how in grade school, how many of them I remember, not all of them of course thankfully, but so many of them in grade school, they had such an excellent spirit. They had an attitude of joy and hope and confidence and when there were songs, they sang them out. They were just a part of it and, and then something happened. By the time they're 16, 17, they have a little freedom. And with that little freedom, they don't guard their spirit. They don't guard their heart at all. And before long, they hang around rebellious, negative, selfish, sullen other teenagers, and it wounds their spirit. It's infectious. And suddenly, that sweet little fourth, fifth, sixth grader acts like the wicked stepsister. Just insufferable. I was talking to one of our college kids just a few days ago who's away from the Lord, and she's very open about it, honest about it with me. And I said, I said to her, I said, why do, why do happy teenagers, which this one was, why do they become bitter and sullen? I wanted to get her perspective. Bitter and sullen and self-absorbed young adults. They're all happy, 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 and then all of a sudden, they're just young adults that are just bitter and sullen. And without a, a beat, she said, get them off Twitter. That's what she said. She said, get them off Twitter, Discord, and Reddit. In fact, she said, if you could shut down the internet for a year, it would change all of the young people in America overnight. I got to thinking about that. Now, obviously, she was speaking from experience. I know that with our counseling. Her life was ruined in chat rooms. And the reason is very simple. Your spirit is vulnerable. And you know, long before, long before there was ever internet or social media or chat rooms or Twitter, we have all of these warnings by God about guarding your heart. Think on these things, the renewing of your mind, be sober, be vigilant, a companion of fools, uh, gird up the loins of your mind, casting down imaginations, evil communications, corrupt good manners. Let the meditation of my heart as a man thinketh in his heart over and over and over. We could go all night with that, right? All of these warnings in the Bible, they're not there by accident. They're there for a reason. God knows our spirit. You know, when you think about it, if the spirit, the attitude is as powerful as it is, as God says it is, isn't it incredible that it's also the one thing that you have no excuse for? I want you to ponder this for a moment. The most powerful thing about you is the one thing you have no excuse if it's sour or bad or broken 
Well, no, that's not true, Pastor. I'm angry because my dad was a drunk. Okay. I know a lot of young people whose dads were alcoholics and angry. But those young people or those grown adults have a, have a joyful spirit. What's your excuse? What's the difference between them? They grew up, some of them worse, far worse than you or your circumstances. Yeah, but it wasn't fair. My life's not fair. Things are terrible. My environment. There's a guy named Daniel who had an excellent spirit. He was a slave. Changed his name, turned him into a eunuch, made him wear Babylonian clothes. He still had an excellent spirit. Those are overcomers. And you're called an overcomer. No matter who you are. Let's be honest. If you're going to read, and if you're going to watch, and if you're going to listen to nothing but fear, and gossip, and cynicism, and pride, and trash, and network news, and the Florida Marlins, you're going to be depressed. Amen? <laughs> Just the Marlins alone. When we lived in Egret, and I've never told this because, you know, we lived there, and I never would never want this to get out about our neighbor, but they've moved since. But on the one side of our house, we had a neighbor there that was a single mom with a teenage daughter. And we got along so well. She was so sweet. And we would make her stuff, and she would make us stuff, and, you know, talk over the fence. And it was just, it was a joy to know her and prayed for her to get saved. And um, she came and visited one time. And it's just, it was really a great relationship. And then the election came. An election season came. And she had a big TV outside in her porch. And our bedroom window's here. The, TV, the porch and the TV was right there. And she started watching MSNBC. You wonder why I always get on MSNBC? It's really because of this. She didn't just watch it. She watched it nonstop. You could, you could look out the window at 2 in the morning and it would be on, whether she was out there or not, loud. Early in the morning, late at night, all day long, all night long, she watched it, and it changed her. Within weeks, within months, bitterness, she was sad, she was depressed, she was angry, she wanted to burn something down all the time. It was a reminder to me of how powerful outside influences on, are on your spirit. Guard your spirit. It's a command. And it's not just said one of the Bible, it's stated all through the Bible. Guard your spirit. Number two. Ground your spirit. In Proverbs chapter 15, I think this might be on the screen. It says this in verse 4. A wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness therein is a breach in the spirit. I want you to think about that word breach for a minute because it's talking about a crack. It's talking about a weak spot, if you will. And the word perverseness is in contrast to a wholesome a whole, a thankful tongue, spirit. In other words, the spirit of man, man's attitudes, a woman's attitudes, feelings, if you will, those feelings have got to be grounded on something solid. And the only thing solid that the Bible presents for us to ground on is the truth. Let me give you an example. A lot of folks, just an illustration, I should say, a lot of folks don't attend church because they just don't feel like it. 
They don't come on Sundays. They don't come on mornings even. They just pop in here and there. But when they don't come, it's because they don't feel like it. And a lot of folks do attend because they feel like it. I just feel like going. Feels good. Or it feels right. I want to say this. Neither of those is sustainable. If it's just because you feel like it. So that in other words, there's a better foundation upon which your spirit, your attitude can rest than just the whims of how you feel this day or that day. And that is, that foundation is the truth. In other words, you say, I attend church because I believe that it pleases the Lord and follows his word and and I think of others and not just myself and on and on and on, regardless of how you might feel. And it's interesting because when you do the right thing, regardless of your feelings, eventually it affects your feelings in the right way. It changes your spirit. I was thinking this week a lot about the familiar words of Proverbs 24, 16. And the reason is because I was teaching the teenagers about the verses right after that. And you know, it says, it's usually misquoted. It says, people say, a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again. Everybody quotes it like that, but I left out a word on purpose. And the word is for. The text says, for a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again. I want you to look at it with me, Proverbs chapter 24. Turn there. Because that word for is a reminder that that text is not intended to stand alone. It is, as many of the Proverbs are, the second part of an important couplet. So let's look at the entire truth, and it begins with verse 15. Lay not wait, O wicked man, against the dwelling of the righteous. Spoil not his resting place. This is a warning to those who might go after his people, God's people. Why? For. There's that word for. Here's why you shouldn't do it. For a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again. The wicked shall fall into mischief. In other words, look, God is issuing a warning to the wicked man. And not so much for his sake as for the righteous person's sake. Wicked may never read this verse. And the warning is, don't mess with a righteous person. Don't mess with one of my godly people. Because if you do, he's just going to get back up again. And why would he get back up again? You know, Dwayne Wade is famous for falling down. Did you know that? Dwayne Wade was a great basketball player. And if you ever watch his highlight reels... You'll notice that almost all of them include these layups and these baseline moves follow with him being on the floor. Right? He would make amazing plays, but he always ended up on the floor. He was famous. In fact, he was so famous for falling down, his motto became fall down seven, stand up eight. That was his Converse ad. You may remember the whole advertisement said that. Now, Proverbs, that's from Proverbs, except Proverbs doesn't say eight because that's really bad math. I'm not sure where Converse or Dwayne Wade got the math, but if you fall down seven times, you can only get up seven times. So the math is off, but the spirit is right. And this is an attitude, the spirit of God, that God is talking about and the one that we're supposed to have. You know, Paul said in 2 Corinthians, for example, chapter 4, we are troubled on every side, fall down, yet not distressed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, right? But do we stay down? 
but not destroyed. Who is this person? Who is the righteous man that falls down seven times but rises up again? It's the person with the right spirit, with the right attitude from God. When I was a boy, there was a show called Romper Room. Now, I never watched it. I hated the show. It was our Barney of our day, even before my day. I was a little boy when that came on. But my sister's friend watched it. And on that show, they had this big bop bag, and it had the face of, it was basically Bozo the Clown, or a clown, and it was a big punching bag. It was a punching bag that you would punch, and it would do this, but it would always come back up. You know what I'm talking about? You can picture it in your mind, right? Yeah. Well, my little sister's friend got one, a big, they're like four foot tall, one for Christmas or something, I don't remember, and her brothers were my friends, and we would always go over there. And I like this thing. Bozo had a little target right here, and you were supposed to bop it. Well, the girls bopped it. But we boys, we boxed his ears. I mean, we tore that thing up. And when she wasn't around, we would take our plastic baseball bat to it. We would do everything to it. The one thing I remember about this bot bag, bozo thing, is that his face had a smile on it. That's why it was so annoying. But you know, it's understandable because the designer knew that no matter how many times you knocked it down, it would always get back up again. It never frowned. In fact, even if you held it down with your knee and punched it, not that I'm speaking from experience, (laughs) it would rise back up again. So this perpetual smile on this thing. You notice it doesn't say how long the just man stays down. It just says that he falls seven times, but if he falls seven times, and again, four, the warning is to the wicked, don't mess with these people. They'll rise up again. Seven's very significant. It's the Bible's number of completion, of perfection. On the seventh day, God rested. On the seventh day, Jesus is put in the grave knowing he would rise again. You see, what God is saying here is that, yes, if you do, you will fall down. If you do fall down, you stumble Ultimately, you will rise up again. And the reason you want to rise up again is because you want to rise up again. Perfect example is David, the man after God's own heart, right? First time he fell down, David did, and lying to Ahimelech, he rose up again. The second time he falls down, when David fled to Gath, he rises up again. The third time he falls down, as David did with Nabal, he rises up again. The fourth time that he falls down, as David did when he deceived the Philistine king, he rises up again. The fifth time he falls down, as David did by by missing the battle that he was supposed to, and he rises up again. The sixth time he falls down, as David did by numbering the people, and he was rebuked, he rose up again. The seventh time he falls down, as David did before that ark, he rises up again. Look, folks, yes. You may be bruised by falling. You may be, as the old saying goes, down for the count, one, two. But a just man, God says, falleth seven times and rises up again. And by the way, after the seventh, after the completion of falling, the last enemy is death. He still rises and being in God's rest, we will never fall again ever. There's a spirit and this is that spirit of resilience overcomers it is the birthright of every child of God in this room the devil wants you to focus on falling down and if you don't guard your spirit that'll be your focus God wants you to focus on always rising up the smile on that stupid clown's face the designer knew 
that it would always come back up. And indeed, and in fact, it was up a whole lot more than it was down. Which brings us tonight to the final point. And it's noted in one word in our original text. We said, number one, to guard your spirit. Number two, ground your spirit. Number three, guide your spirit. The one word I'm referring to is the word rule. It says, he that ruleth his spirit. He that rules his attitude. See, pastor, are you saying that I can guide and I can direct my own attitude? Actually, it's better than that. I'm saying that's what God says you can do. How many times when specifically referring to his own attitude and his own spirit, did David use the words, I will? Psalm 9-2, I will rejoice and be glad in thee. Psalm 101, I will sing of mercy. Psalm 9 and verse 14, I will rejoice in thy salvation. He said, what time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. Pastor, I just wasn't raised that way. I'm just not a joyful, enthusiastic spirit. It's not my natural attitude. I don't think it's anybody's natural attitude. Well, it's just not me. Well, make it your attitude. You know, the word enthusiasm, you know where that comes from, right? E-N-N and theos is God. It means in God. And quite literally, as the psalmist testifies, an enthusiastic spirit is simply that of a person who has chosen to focus on God. We mentioned earlier Psalm 51 when David wanted to renew his spirit. Well, you know, 25 times in that one prayer, David acknowledges his own personal responsibility. He didn't blame his prophet Nathan. He didn't offer excuses. He just did what, what is required to make his spirit right including confessing his sins. And beloved, it is true. You don't have to be a city that is broken down and without walls. Your testimony does not have to be shameful and dangerous and unsightly and a reproach to the gospel itself, dead and dry. Your attitude, your spirit, can be more impressive and effective than a conqueror who takes a city. And tonight... Tonight is as good a night as any to begin starting guarding and grounding and guiding the most powerful thing about you, your own spirit, your own attitude. Our heads are bowed, please, and our eyes are closed for just a moment. I'm pretty sure that most folks in the room tonight are believers saved. That means this. That means that you're called an overcomer. It means that God has given you all that you need to have a victorious spirit, a joyful spirit, a faithful spirit. And so the Bible says, He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he that ruleth his spirit. And he that taketh the city. Folks in this room are better than conquerors. Better than Alexander the Great. Better than Napoleon. Better. Because you can control and guide under the hand of the Holy Spirit of God and the power of God your own attitude.
Pastor, I'm saved tonight, but I needed the message as a Christian. Who would say that? Would you lift your hands through the building as a child of God and amen, and I, I raise mine. Honestly, anytime our spirit is bitter, broken, sour, depressed, angry, it's just a red flag. It's just a red flag in our heart saying, hey, you're not who you're supposed to be. And you can't, you cannot blame anyone else. You can't say it's her fault, it's his fault, it's the preacher's fault, it's my wife's fault, it's my husband's fault. Nope, you can't do it. It's the, the one thing that none of us have any excuse for why we're this way. Maybe tonight you're not saved, you're not sure that you're saved. Could I pray for you? Not sure that your name is in heaven, that your sins are forgiven? Is that you tonight? Pray for me, Pastor. I'm not sure. Who would say that? Would you lift your hand in the building? Anyone at all? All right. We're going to pray in a moment and have a time of invitation. This is, as always, a time for all of us to do business with the Lord if he has spoken to our hearts. Father, thank you for your word. And This is a book of wisdom. As we mentioned to the young people in Sunday school this morning, this is heaven's advice of how to live on earth. And as your children, as your people, we thank you for it, and I pray that we will embrace it. Lord, that we would recognize that there's a reason, a divine reason for all of these warnings in your word about our hearts, our spirit, our attitude. May we embrace them, take them to heart, and then take them to you. And we'll praise you for what's done in Jesus' name. Amen. On behalf of everyone at Beacon Baptist Church, we thank you for joining us today. Our prayer is that your heart and life has been impacted through the biblical truths of this message. If you have questions or would like more information, please contact us through our website at beaconbaptistchurch.org. That's beaconbaptistchurch.org. May the Lord bless you.